You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. All right, I feel like uh, it's like a superhero theme or something. Dustin actually sent me that because he was planning on using it for his sermon, but uh, obviously with him being sick, I get to use it. And I told him when he sent it to me, I was like, man, I want to go hunt treasure with Nicolas Cage. That's just the, the vibe the music gave off. Well, obviously, um, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Andrew. I'm the Connections Pastor. Daniel mentioned that earlier, and as Daniel mentioned also, this, Dustin is, is sick, and unfortunately so is Alden. Uh, so we're just praying that they get well, uh, praying they get better. Um, so you guys are stuck with me and you're not just stuck with me. You're stuck with like 24 hour notice me. So you get what you get and you don't pitch a fit. That's what the old saying is, right? So last week, let's just kind of recap what Dustin talked about last week. Uh, last week, Dustin was in the book of James. Uh, he was in chapter two and he talked about the kind of the first portion and he just it was the whole passage about how we shouldn't show impartiality. And Dustin just kind of really broke it down for us and how there's no reason that anyone that we come in contact with or that comes into these doors as a church that we should favor one over the other, regardless of their social status, their race, regardless of their financial status, job status, whatever it is, there's no reason that we should ever favor one person over the other. That is just simply not Christ-like. It is not godly. And uh, he talked about how how that we as a church, he talked about how as a church as a whole, worldwide, especially here in America, uh, Sunday morning is one of the most segregated hours of the week and how we as a church are adamantly against that. We want to represent heaven. And we always want to work towards being a church that is multicultural, that is multi-con- or multi-age, um, age, generational. Um, I don't, yeah, multi-generational, yeah. So just drew a blank there. Um, like I said, 24-hour notice me. Um, and we want to be that church, and we have to work towards that, and we have to be intentional about that. And we want to make sure that everyone is welcome no matter what. And that's how we represent God. That's how we show the love of God. And that's a third part of our, our mission statement. So today, uh, we're going to continue our study of the book of James through our series Inside Out. And we are going to take the next part of uh, James chapter two. And in this, James um, kind of experiences and, and explores the idea of the relationship between faith and works. So if you want to go ahead and turn in James chapter 2 to your Bible, uh, we're going to start at verse 26. But while you make your way there, um, faith and works, they're just a really particular pairing. They go together. uh, They go hand in hand. And when you separate them, you just kind of miss miss the target altogether. Uh, Throughout this passage, James will often call one or the other just useless or misguided or whatever. It's just when they're not together, they're no good. And James often will say that Um, he's revealing to us the deep rooted relationship between the two. And when done correctly, faith and works are an inseparable duo here in Harlem. um, Who lives in Harlem? Raise your hand. Awesome. Here in Harlem, we celebrate um, a specific duo. We celebrate specifically the life of Oliver Hardy. Um, 
Oliver Hardy was born here in Harlem, and we have neighborhoods named after him. We have streets named after him. Uh, he's on our water towers. He's in business logos. He's on the side of buildings. We have a museum. We have a festival for Oliver Hardy. He had this great career, and that's awesome, and we are milking that career for everything that we can here in Harlem. And I can say that because I work for the city, and I'm in charge of the museum, so I understand milking the entire career of Oliver Hardy. But he's everywhere. He's on our city website. Uh, but Oliver, he wouldn't have had a career quite as impactful as he did if he had never met Stan Laurel. See, Stan Laurel, he met Stan Laurel on the, on the set of The Lucky Dog. And Oliver actually wasn't even supposed to be in that movie. Um, he played a part that the guy didn't show up for. Like, kind of like I'm doing today. I'm, I'm playing a part that Dustin didn't show up for, right? <coughs> no, I'm just teasing him. Um, but he played a part that doesn't, or <laughs> that uh, uh, stands, the, the actor that was supposed to be in the movie didn't show up for. Um, and a little bit later in 1927 is when Ollie and Stan actually got paired as, Oliver, or as Laurel and Hardy and as a duo. And from that point forward, they went on this tear of just filming movies, shorts. They were one of the few comedic duos that could go from silent films into actual like full sound films. Um, and they just had this tear that was just absolutely pretty much unrivaled for a long, long time. And then later in their career, they kind of separated based on some contract disputes with the um, with their manager, and it just wasn't the same. It was clear that if they didn't, if they weren't together, then we, the uh, the crowd, the audience, just missed the point. They, they they didn't work well not together. They were meant for each other, and that's what James is trying to communicate to us: that faith and works work together. They go hand in hand. They have to be side by side. If they're not side by side, then we're missing everything. But real quick, before we dive into this passage, I want to identify what James is talking about when he says faith and when he says works, because that word works is, um, is often uh, misused and kind of twisted in, in theology and in churches around the, around the world and around the United States. So um, when he talks about faith, let's just talk about faith. Let's go to Ephesians uh, or chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we see that faith is salvific. I know that might be a weird word. I'm going to ask you to say it in just a little bit, so get ready. Maybe repeat it in your head a little bit. Salvific. Faith is salvific. You are saved by grace through faith faith. Grace is the who and faith is the how. Okay? Grace alone through faith alone. So we understand that faith is salvific. We do not experience salvation apart from faith. Uh, Webster defines faith as uh, as unwavering trust. So in the concept and the scheme of God, having complete and total unwavering trust in who who God is, His love and His promises. That's faith, and that's the kind of faith that James is talking about. Now, works. We see also in this passage, if you go back to Ephesians, it says that you are not saved as the result of works. So we understand that works are not salvific. We understand that works are not going to earn our way. We're never going to earn our way to heaven. There's nothing that we can do to get to heaven. 
the works that James is talking about And the heavy theme of the book of James is just an active faith, a a reflective faith reflecting who Jesus is. So it involves, works involve loving people the way Jesus loved people, being sacrificial, meeting needs, stepping the gap. um, Those type of active works. But again, understand those are not salvific. No work we could ever do could earn us a spot in heaven. The only work that would that was ever accomplished that gets us into heaven is the work that Jesus did on the cross and through His death and resurrection. That's the only work. And the only way He was able to do that was because He lived a perfect and sinless life and was the perfect sacrificial Lamb for us. So, I have to make sure you understand faith, salvific. Works are not. So, This is your chance to talk. Turn to your neighbor. Say, faith is salvific, works are not. You guys get that off your tongue quite well, salvific? The first time I ever heard it, I actually don't even know if it's a word, but I've heard it preached before and used before. So uh, it's become part of my vocabulary. And it was hard to say, so I understand. Uh, So all that in the way of introduction, because we have to understand and define these, these two things, faith and works before we can really dissect and digest what, what James is telling us here in chapter 2. So again, <laughs> excuse me, again we're going to be reading uh, verses 14 through 26, and I'm going to start in chapter, or verse, uh, verse 14. So, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, And one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? He is such a sly guy with words. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was it not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac at the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the Scripture was fulfilled that said, Abram believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not just by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So my prayer today as we dig through the second half of of James chapter 2 is that we understand the special relationship between faith and works. Let's pray together real quick as we go further in. God, we just thank You for this morning. We thank You for Your Word. And Lord, we just thank You for the work that Jesus did on the cross. And through that grace and faith, we can can spend eternity with You. We can be saved. And Lord, as we dig into what James is telling us here in Your Word, speak to us on how works fits into that role. How works is like putting on the glove. So Lord, speak to us this morning. Hide me behind the cross. 
Let me not be heard. Let your words be heard. Lord, I, just, I also pray once again for Dustin. I pray that you would just bring healing into his family and to his body and to Alden's body. Protect Ashley and the girls from, um, from getting any of this mess. And uh, just strengthen them, and, and we can't wait to see them back. But Lord, again this morning, just speak through your word. And we're going to trust you for what you're going to say. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> so let's break the passage up. Let's dissect it a little bit. We're going to go kind of section by section. The first point I want us to understand is faith without works is not real faith. Faith without works is not real, salvific, Christ-centered faith. So that's kind of like a gut punch from the jump, like right at the very beginning of the passage. Um, James just kind of lays it out, and he says, here it is. And this is essentially the way this passage is laid out. Here it is, and I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to give you the thesis. I'm going to give you the theory right off the jump. I know it's heavy. I know it's hard. But here it is, and I'm going to prove to you. Faith without works is not real faith. And what I want to say about that, uh, well, first let's, let's read that passage, that first portion of that again, and then we'll, we'll dive in a little bit more. So what good is it, this is verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? He lays it out. He hearkens back kind of what he says in the first chapter in 22. He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Essentially, if your faith does not produce action, you have deceived yourself. And unfortunately, when you deceive yourself, you often end up deceiving a lot of others. You deceived yourself into believing that you have faith when in reality you do not. Jesus tells us in Matthew uh, chapter 7, 21, it's potentially one of the scariest verses in the Bible for some people. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does, who works out the will of the Father. How do you do that? Your faith drives that car, drives those works. So we have this tendency, especially here in the South, because everyone pretty much grew up in church. We have this tendency to say, oh yeah, we're Christians, or to, um, to just kind of identify as Christians, or say we abide by uh, the Christian faith. Listen, just because you've been sitting in the back pew all growing up, um, next to me, mall color and some um, some Noah pictures or whatever, doesn't mean you're saved. It doesn't mean anything. What it means is, Meemaw took you to church, and you got to hear the word. But if you didn't respond to the word, you missed out faith altogether. There's a lot of box checking in our culture where you just come on Sunday mornings. Yeah, we did that. That's great. Feel a little bit better about myself. Going to go on to the next day. But the relationship and the word that is preached never actually hits us and drives us and changes our life so much so that we are able to be active on it throughout the week. Just, uh, James makes it clear, true salvific faith is accompanied by work. And unfortunately, there's a lot of folks who claim faith in Jesus, but you couldn't tell because the faith that they claim is void of all action. So what's an example of active faith? 
I'm glad you guys asked that. James hits that in the next part in uh, verses 15 and 16. Have you guys ever had, I don't know if your parents ever did this. Mine kind of did. My dad kind of did this. Have you ever had someone try to explain to you how to do something by telling you what not to do and just letting you figure it out otherwise? Like, here's everything not to do, but I'm not going to tell you what to do. That's kind of what James does. He kind of poses a rhetorical um, question here, a rhetorical um, situation. He, he's going to tell you what not to do in the situation. So, and by that, we kind of, we realize what we should do. So in 15, he says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in any daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them any, uh, the things needed for the body, what good is that? So James, in this scenario, if you run, he's saying, if you run into someone, who needs food or clothes, don't just tell them to be full and warm. They know that. They know, hey, I'm cold. I need to be warm. Hey, I'm hungry. I need food. Don't just say, go and be warm. Those, that's great. But it's, it's nothing if you can't and refuse and don't meet the need. That's what James is saying. He says, get them some clothes. Get them some food. Meet the need. Listen, I understand that there are times where you legit cannot meet others' needs. You have a hard enough time meeting your own needs. God knows that. He understands that. He sees our hearts. But if you are capable of meeting the needs, and I'm talking like legit capable. Sometimes we we try to figure out how we can make it seem as though we're not capable. You know? Um, Sometimes when we see someone in need, we try to just say, we turn the volume up in the car, or we roll the window up, or we just ignore them, or um, we just say, I'll pray for you. But even sometimes there, you don't actually really pray. Praying for everyone's great. But if you don't follow that up sometimes um, with action, you're just void. Um, maybe you dropped off last last year's winter coat at Attic Treasures or Goodwill. Uh, you just can't afford to help. God sees those. He knows your heart. Uh, but when you can meet the need, meet the need. Bear one another's burdens. Um, and this is for this is for everyone, for people that come in uh, and are part of the church. It says brothers and sisters. Um, so within the church, you know, people in small group that you do life with. Uh, Sally and I went through a season of life um, where essentially we lived off of Sally's salary. <laughs> and she's a school teacher. And when you're raising a family of two at the time, that's really hard and you're trying to make rent. And um, we were stretching every dollar that we could every month. Uh, and when something would come up, like a car breakdown or uh, needing tires or something like that, or even like just Christmas is around the corner, there were times that that brothers and sisters in Christ met the need for us. And you never know truly what meeting the need is like until someone's met the need for you. And then you understand it and you appreciate it. And you want to do that for someone else. But James is telling us here, meet the need. Don't just tell them that you're going to you know, hope they're warm and hope they're full. Meet the need. Figure out a way to meet the need. Ultimately, James is boiling down to this. Talk is cheap. Say all you want, but if you don't back it up, talk is cheap. I love football. I love uh, you know when it's not overly you know um, abusive. I love a little trash talk between teams, uh, especially when they kind of go into um, you know in through the media and and kind of take some you know little underhanded shots. Um, but if you don't back it up, it's just embarrassing, right? In sports, if you don't back up your trash talk, you just walk back to the dugout or to the sideline with your head down and 
It's embarrassing. It's the same thing for our faith. It should be embarrassing if we can't back up our talk. And that's what James is saying. Talk is cheap. We can talk about how good God is, how great of a provider He is, and we can encourage people with those truths, but if we don't be act- actively be His hands and His feet, we miss the point. What good is that is what James says. So James gives us a way, just a, a small sample size example of how we can be active in our faith. And then he backs it up with Scripture. He says uh, in verse 18 and 19, He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So James does what a lot of great pastors do. And he proposes a made up argument. And then he argues this imaginary person. And uh, that's what that's how he goes about it. And he has this hypothetical debate with an imaginary person, and he takes on the idea that someone out there will believe that faith and works can be separate. And he takes on that argument. And while this is an imaginary debate, we all know that person who sees the mission team going out and um, you know doing work or being active and saying, I'm just going to stay back. That's not my spiritual gift. Uh, we see that sometimes, and we all know those people. Um, James is saying you have to put them hand in hand. He says, I will show you my faith by the evidence of my works, by my works. And then he says, I love this. He's, he's so smooth in what he says, and he has to be just a great... Um, you know, a great friend to people. He says, you know what? You're a demon. You're on the same level as demons. That's what he says. He says, if you believe that, if you believe that God is one, if you just say you have faith, but it's not accompanied by actions, that's good. Demons believe that. Demons believe that, and they shudder at that. He puts them on the same level as demons. I love the challenge by James where he says, Show me your faith apart from your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. And then he goes on and he breaks down the story of Abraham and Isaac. In verse 20, he says, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? Again, with the, with the uh, smooth talk and the friendly talking. Um, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac at the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness he was called a friend of God you see that a person is justified by works and not just by faith alone understand this Abraham was not saved by the fact that he was willing to offer up his son it was rather proof of his faith which was what was salvific an action that was fully that showed that he fully and wholly trusted God, just as that Webster uh, as de- that definition that we read earlier. Abraham approached that situation with such undenying faith in God and God's provision that his actions were so that no one could question that faith. Verse twenty-two: You see, faith that was active along with his works. A faith was completed, or, and faith was completed by his works. Abram's faith was evident by his works. 
Abram's faith was not earned by his works, but it was evidence of his faith. So again, we understand that faith and works go hand in hand. That faith cannot be separated from works. And when they are, it's nothing but deception. And then once again, James wraps it up and he says in verse 26, this is the final point, he says, faith without works is dead. 26, for as a body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. One of my favorite TV shows right now, um, and it's been this way for a long time, is The Walking Dead. Now, I don't necessarily want to promote The Walking Dead because here in recent seasons, um, I don't necessarily really appreciate the language that they've chosen to start using um, that's been the norm. So not promoting it, not saying go watch it. Personally, it's been one of my favorite shows, though, uh, for a while. Um, and the whole concept of the show is a character study on humanity facing a uh, apocalyptic setting. And the catalyst for that apocalyptic setting in this story is zombies, or as they call them on the show, walkers, biters, roamers, um, every name but zombie. Um, but it's essentially, they're zombies. And I'm sure if you have any um, knowledge of like monster lore, you kind of understand what zombies are. And they're essentially just functioning bodies. They're essentially kind of what James is saying. They're bodies apart from the spirit. And they just roam around. You can't carry a conversation on with them because they don't respond. They just try to eat you. Um, they don't have a sense of person about them. They don't have a soul. You don't see a zombie family um, or a new zombie family. Um, nothing good comes from them. Only death and destruction. And James is saying that if you have faith without works it's like having a body without a spirit without a soul nothing good comes of that it's empty it's void faith without works is like a body without the soul if it does not produce the desire and the action of mirroring a loving god and loving others the way jesus does it's useless and it is dead so i'm going to close with this James' ultimate goal in this whole passage was for us to understand faith and works are in union with one another. They cannot be separated. And if you take one from another, you've done nothing but deceive yourself and deceive others. He constantly tells us that works are a product of true, salvific, Christ-centered faith. I have a couple pictures I want to put on the screen. This first one, uh, I think just they do a really good job of explaining faith and works. Faith plus works equals salvation. This is wrong. I just want you to understand that from the jump. This is not accurate. When we do this, when we abide by this type of, of theology, we have this faith, but if we don't follow these rules and do all these things, if we lack in those things, we miss salvation. So our works become the root of our salvation. And when you don't feed a plant, the root will dry up and it'll shrivel and you miss it. It's kind of like two plus three equals five, but if you don't work up enough works to be three, you, it never will be five, but you need it to be five. So faith plus works equals salvation is garbage. Go to the next slide. Faith equals salvation. 
plus works. So works is no longer the root of your salvation, but rather it's the fruit. And that's what James is trying to explain to us, that when we are truly saved by faith through grace, we receive salvation and our works represent it. And our works are the fruit of our salvation. They're the evidence of our salvation. They're the evidence of a life changed. Works are an evidence of our faith. We don't have, if we don't have action accompanying our faith, we probably don't really have true faith. And that's what James is hammering throughout this passage. Our mission here at Impact, uh, if you've been here before, I know you've heard this often. Um, we have signs back there that say it. Um, our mission here is for people to know God's love, to grow in God's love, and then to show God's love to the world. We know and we believe as a, as a staff and as a leadership team that if someone comes to know God's love by grace through faith, through accepting the grace that Jesus worked out on the cross for us, if someone understands that love, it will lead to a desire to grow in that love. And what does something that grow that grows does it produces fruit it works it does maybe not early on you know maybe early it's just in the growth process and it maybe bud a little bit here and there but ultimately faith that is true salvific life-changing faith will produce fruit so let me ask you this question do you want to follow Jesus? Do you desire for your fruit or for your life to be purpose-filled and fruitful for the gospel? That's my prayer and that's all of our prayers for each and every one of you and everyone that comes to these doors is that they would desire a life, that we would desire a life that is fruitful for the gospel and for the glory of Jesus. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.